Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spoiler Alert, a weekly talk radio show for movie and television lovers. I'm your host, Sean Denham, and I am joined, as always, by the beguiling Sonia Stanger. Hello. Hello. Solidarity, Sean. Solidarity with you. <laughs> and also eye. with you. <laughs> um, we are also joined this week by our very extra special guest host, James Brotheridge. Hello, hello. Oh, there's power in the union, friends. And, that uh... there is. <laughs> Um, today, in honor of the uh, Writers Guild of America strike that is happening in America, we would like to do an episode about labor. Um, the Writers' Strike, if you might not know, is the biggest strike since 2008, which you might remember when all of your favorite shows suddenly went off the rails. Um, and now they are fighting for a dispute of, like, residuals and also that, uh, chat GPT will not be will can only be used for research and not just fully taking your jobs. Um, things like that. So obviously I make half of my living as a writer and I would also, I, I support the WGA in this. Yeah. Um, okay. First question. Have you guys ever been on strike? Mm. You know, very recently, my union did go on strike, uh, being part of uh, PSAC, the public sector folks in Canada. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, as uh, as a particular kind of worker, I was considered essential, and mm. uh, I could not actually go on strike. And so I had the very odd sensation of continuing to work as normal as I saw people around me and people in the news having to go on the strike lines, um, having to deal with strike pay and, and, and do all those kind of things and deal with the uncertainty, of course, of, of being on strike. Yeah, that's We consider lot. you essential as well. <laughs> <laughs> we do consider you essential, but the way that that legislation has been used to bludgeon workers uh, to continue working and and keep them from uh, actions that they are legally entitled to is disheartening. But thank you, James, for your essential service. <laughs> we do appreciate oh, you're it. Welcome. Yeah, you know it's such an odd Sonia. thing because like Sorry. they're yeah like they put out advance notice to all of us who would be considered essential. And one of the weird things about the work I'm doing these days is that it didn't even involve crossing a strike line since I am still teleworking and working from home. Mm -hmm. So I uh, just had that double impact of not even getting to see the people who were striking and uh, just hearing from them kind of secondhand in some cases. Yeah. 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 Wild. Sonia, have you ever hit the line? The picket line? I haven't. No, you know, I, I certainly would if, if I was in a union that was striking. Um, I've only been in a union um, for a short time in my life and only for part-time work through the university. Um, so I am technically a union member now, but it's a little bit different sometimes, I think, as a, as a part-time employee where you're not as kind of like integrated into the system. Um, but, you know, I certainly stand with striking workers and with the, the WGA strikers. Um, I think Unions are really important, and they uh, improve the quality for all working people and not just the ones in unions. So, yeah, solidarity with them. Say that. 
Um, but we, in this case, are talking about labor and unions on film. Mm-hmm. Um, what are like, what are there any tropes that are associated with this? I was trying to think of some. I think mostly the one I could think of was the rousing speech that that a person always gives all the doubting Thomases uh, when they're like, I don't know. And then they're like, I'm, I'm literally thinking of Newsies where he's like, <laughs> come on, we could do it. And then they're like, <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> that accent. Yeah. Join the union. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. I think that's definitely one. It's interesting how uh, union organizing is maybe somewhat simplified on screen a lot of times. They're not necessarily showing you the the nuts and bolts and all the logistics and, and organizing that goes into things. Sometimes I think you get a little bit of that, but yeah, it, it's a lot of, a lot of that classic movie magic of, Oh, it's one guy with a really good speech here to be the, yeah. the singular hero, which sort of runs counter to the whole idea of unions, but. But is it a good, is it fun to watch a bunch of people, uh, <laughs> toil tirelessly behind the scenes well it's a difficult thing to portray in film right like just that element of activism where it's not only the group of activists against some outside force you know it's an employer it's x it's y z but there's also always dynamics within that group not just you know what's the best way forward but like what actually are our goals and everything like that Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of labor films or strike films or or what have you touch on that i think it's difficult to really flesh that out without letting that become the film in a certain way yeah it's not a labor film in particular but um back in 2017 there was that french movie bpm 120 beats per minute that was all about uh, act up activists in france back in the 80s and that's a movie where given that it had like a two and a half hour runtime and uh, the director was drawing from his personal experience as an act up agitator of the time, I think it was a, actually able to flesh out some of those dynamics and, and portray them with great interest and, and make it really compelling on uh, screen. But it's, it's definitely difficult to do, especially when you're not always going for two and a half hour realistic movie where, you know, a few people are going to die at the end by AIDS. You know, in some other cases, you want to make a, a sunnier movie that's that's Newsies, where uh, Theodore <laughs> Roosevelt's going to swing by and save the hero at the end. <laughs> Classic. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, what are... Oh, sorry. You go. I was just going to say, another one that came to mind for me is the, um, like, corruption storyline. I think that's a pretty oh, common yeah. one. You think of something like On the Waterfront, um, and how kind of the main antag- antagonist of that film is this corrupt union boss. Um, and I think it's interesting, like you think of the kind of time period when that was coming out, um, when unions were really gaining a lot of strength in the U.S. And, um, you know, <laughs> the folks who own studios kind of have a vested interest in portraying unions a specific way. Um, so it's interesting how even a film that like, you know, um, is kind of siding with the worker and like portraying the plight of a an exploited worker 
still then is kind of like working against workers' interests in these narratives about um, union corruption. Yeah, that is that is so smart. It's really, <laughs> you're like, there's also evil people. Yeah. Um, what are some classics uh, that depict the a union struggle? Well, that you guys have seen. I feel bad that I'd forgotten entirely about Newsies before we started talking here. Like, I own Newsies, you know? Like, I I should have remembered that one. And in terms of kids' union classics, you know, Newsies (laughs) has to be up there. Like, maybe you're looking at... And it's a short list of the (laughs) kids' union classics, but... (laughs) Like, I think Ants maybe has, like, a bit of a a union theme. You know, if you're you're willing to suffer through Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's so, that's so true. Like, you know, I think... This is a union movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of kids' movies wind up having, you know, um, somebody against, like, a larger system kind of uh, organization to it. So, you know, it it, it recurs as a theme, even if it isn't, like, strictly a a union movie in that particular way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um... One that comes to mind for me is Norma Ray, um, a masterful turn from Sally Field from 1979, um, which is the true story of a uh, union activist uh, who was a textile mill worker um, who kind of starts to get involved in uh, creating a union for her fellow workers uh, based on the poor working conditions. Um, and I think that one is really interesting. I mean, it's really compelling, I think, even just from her portrayal and, and sort of the the film as a whole is, is incredible. Um, but also kind of that true story of what happens to her. Um, the fact that she, you know, dies in a car crash on the way to this key, um, meeting and the fact that that was never, uh, solved or like, we don't know it. There's kind of, the film kind of speculates that it wasn't in fact an accident um so yeah i think Wait, that is one... this also is no, that the ahead. same plot of silkwood it's I, similar. isn't that how silkwood ends also like looking into the back like meryl streep like am i looking into her rear view mirror i don't know I might I, be it could be i've never <laughs> hang on let me look either way one of the they're both really good <laughs> they're both good they're both good <laughs> um and i think yeah just kind of that uh that exploration of how union organizing is often met with such violence um is really a really important story to be told Mm -hmm. and giving sally field that role i haven't seen it but i would imagine her being a legendary sweetheart would definitely be the kind Um. of thing where it puts Sally the audience. <laughs> it, it puts the audience on her side immediately, and you know there there might even be some contrast there you could play with between the efforts and the kind of hard nosedness that you'd need to be a union organizer versus, uh, you know what you might typically think of Sally Field for. Mm-hmm. Sweetheart Sally Field. <laughs> I hope everyone what agrees you, that she's Sam? a sweetheart. Yeah, she she plays um, she does play a little more like rough around the edges kind of like 
a little more hard nose in this one, but she still brings okay. the, the classic field sweetness. Yeah, okay. Prickly on the outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking of, along the lines of 9 to 5, the mm-hmm. Jane Fonda, Dolly Parton, um, Lily Tomlin joint from mm, unclear what, what time frame, 80s-ish. <laughs> I don't have the year written down. From sometime um, around 9 a.m. in the morning until roughly <laughs> supper time. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Okay. It, might even you know, be, it might even be 85. Hang on, let me look. Keep going. Get out of bed, cup of ambition, all that. <laughs> um, 1980. Basically, it is three workers who are facing really unfair uh, things at their work and are being passed over for jobs and are being ignored or being harassed and so then they essentially uh blackmail and then kidnap their boss uh to implement um a better working conditions at their work uh like programs that they've been suggesting and he's been passing them over so it is a bit of it is a bit of violence that you know against the boss but it is it is such a great film and like those three just are like such power, such powerhouses. And it's been yeah. years since I've seen that, but as I remember it, I think a big part of it is just the catharsis of three women kind of put in different, but all awful situations by their boss getting to tie him to a chair and torture him pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And then they each have their own, they all smoke marijuana and they all have a extended dream sequence of what they would do to him <laughs> if they had their druthers. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, it's a large part of, it's a, a much longer part of the film than you would expect <laughs> that aspect. You're not wrong. Yeah. But I think that's such a good one because it, um, it, it depicts the way that, uh, women's issues and labor issues intersect, you know, like that workplace harassment is, you know, a women's issue and it's also a labor issue and how um, solidarity and, and class solidarity and class consciousness can also improve other issues. Like, you know, um, union employment has consistently been shown to improve, like improve pay equity uh, for different demographics. So, yeah, I think that's really important that it's not just looking at the issue from that one lens. It's it's showing us how things are connected. Yeah, like the issues that unions are addressing are never isolated to just the workplace or, you know, it's not like a severance thing. I haven't seen severance, but I think I have the idea of <laughs> what it's <Yeah>. about. <laughs> but it's never the kind of thing where you enter the workplace and there's a whole new issue that you never thought about, you know, those Things come from other parts of your life, whether it's, you know, gender, sexuality, or race, or, or any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should well, we you... be watching Severance? Yeah, it's been <laughs> on my list for a long time. I keep hearing how good it is. The, pe- the people are saying it. People know, are saying okay. And I mean, Adam Scott. I'm, I'm always here for an Adam Scott joint. Yeah. And also, uh, a, a sign that I saw it. The WGA protest was like, this isn't severance. (laughs) Also, the signs are really funny. Yeah, There was one that was like, there's one I won't forget. And she was like, 
I don't need these steps. I'm on Ozempic. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so the this one, one that this I is the writing was... you can't get from chat. Exactly. Well, exactly. <laughs> um, one that I liked was, like, uh, pay us fairly or we'll spoil succession, which is a moot point <laughs> now, but still funny. Yeah. They waited that one out. Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I oh, went back uh, a little ways further, and this week I s- struck one off my list. It was 1925's Strike uh, mm. by Sergei Eisenstein. 1925? Uh, 1925, a silent okay. film. Yeah. Uh, so Eisenstein kind of seen as like one of the fathers of montage, among other things. You know, he's one of these guys who gets like director, writer, theorist in his Wikipedia uh, summary. So good for him. Um, and he also did uh, Battleship Potemkin, you know, with the mm. famous Odessa Steps. And for those From at my home, film 100 Odessa Step sequence. <laughs> well, yes. <If> they, <laughs> I was saying that in my sleep. <laughs> if they really wanted to blow your mind in film 100, they show you that. And then they show you that same sequence from the Untouchables side by side. And you can't believe it. You're amazed. You're still bowled over. I can tell. <laughs> um. But Strike is pretty much what it, you think it's about. It's about a Russian factory where the conditions are awful, the pay is awful, and the workers are all disrespected. And through the course of the film, they are driven to such lengths where they strike. And then, spoiler alert, um, as some of the films we're talking about today do, there is dissension within the ranks kind of sown by, you know, um, these fat cat capitalists. Uh, and Eisenstein does use some kind of visual shorthand where all several of the capitalists are these kind of stereotypical, uh, like corpulent, <laughs> um, capitalists who like sit back in their chair with like their cigars and are shot from like a low angle to kind of emphasize their girth. Uh, yeah. it's, you know, really a, a visual language of the time that, you know, I don't think would be repeated in quite the same way today. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, dissension within the ranks. And then by the end, uh, there's a sequence where a large number of our, our striking workers are gunned down. And oh. in kind of Soviet style at the time, it is intercut with unrelated imagery. And like I was telling you folks in chat, that imagery was animals being <laughs> slaughtered, which mm-hmm. I You're keep bringing us back journey. to. Yeah, two for two, baby. I I love it. You know, I love to find those. Um, So, yeah, like in the end, Strike is really a film where it doesn't propose a way forward that says, like, you know, if we acknowledge this, then, you know, we're all hunky dory. It's really it's a call to action because we are in such dire straits and we need to organize and we need to form these committees and do all these things to be able to kind of fight back against this kind of awful oppression uh which is definitely one approach to the to the union and labor movie um Mm -hmm. have either of you seen any eisenstein beyond like five minutes of battleship potemkin or yeah i've seen i've seen those classic five minutes the baby's going down the steps someone get the baby (laughs) um but no i i haven't seen any other things from him yeah i mean it's It's some wild stuff because 
those Soviet filmmakers, those Soviet filmmakers, both, <laughs> those, those Soviets. <laughs> it's a time where the cinematic language is still being built. And Eisenstein in particular is just so adventurous and he's so willing to try anything. And there are strains of what he's doing that get picked up and get brought over to Hollywood and elsewhere. And there are strains that are followed that are still really, really impactful, you know. Um, and beyond that, it's also just a film shot in like an actual location with a lot of interest, with a lot of particulars. And uh, it's, yeah, Strike is awesome. It's great. Hmm. have to check it out. Yeah. I'd recommend it if uh, if you accept the warning that there is still animal slaughter in it. <laughs> and it's very isolated to the very end, so uh, you don't have to worry about it recurring, at least this time. Perfect. Yeah. Or starting off. Starting off the thing. Starting <laughs> off and coming back and... <laughs> <laughs> Reprise. Yeah. Um, Sonia, what did you watch this week? Well... You know, I couldn't, I couldn't not, for our labor episode, watch one of my favorite movies of all time. We have talked about it on the show before. You know what I'm going to say. And that is 2014's Pride. Um, The ultimate feel-good solidarity movie. Um, It literally begins with uh, Solidarity Forever being sung in the background. Uh, for me, depending on how emotional I am uh, beginning to watch it, I might start crying right right there. <laughs> might, Just there. <laughs> <laughs> might come a little later. Um, but of course, this movie is uh, set in, uh, in 1984, um, at the time when uh, Margaret Thatcher's conservative government in Britain um, was closing uh, mining pits all over the UK and just really... Um, there was just a real attack on working folks, particularly in those kinds of trades. Um, and there was, a, you know, some really vicious austerity, uh, measures and things like that. So people were in a very bad way, you know, people starved, people died. Um, even still in a lot of those, uh, parts of the UK, uh, if you ask someone what they think of Margaret Thatcher, you will hear some colorful language and they will <laughs> not be shy to tell you what they think because, uh, her government just had such a, a damaging effect. Um, but this is about a, uh, a group of young queer friends in London who decide to uh, take up and start collecting to help out the miners who are striking um, because they kind of recognize how uh, the mainstream media, the government, and uh, the police are essentially treating these striking workers the same way that they treat them for being queer. Um, and so they kind of <laughs> pick out a mining town in Wales, um, and send off some money. They, there's a kind of a funny bit where, uh, a garbled phone call <laughs> received by an old lady <laughs> at a church leads to them not really understanding that they are in fact the, uh, gays and lesbians. Was it lesbians and gays? I think it was yeah. lesbians and gays support Les- minors. Lesbian gays support the minors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't hear. So they show up in this tiny Welsh town. Um, and you know, it's kind of about the, uh, the town, the miners, uh, navigating their queer phobia. Um, but also 
some of them being kind of more accepting and these building these bridges of solidarity between the two groups. Um, and it's just so heartwarming and so touching. And there's, you know, a ton of great performances from, from great British actors. You got Bill Nighy, Andrew Scott, yeah. Dominic West, Imelda Staunton, like just a whole bunch of people. Um, and yeah, it just is really lovely. And it's a true story is the important thing to say. Um, and so again, it kind of comes back to what I was saying about nine to five. It shows, you know, those intersections and how important that solidarity between issues is and how like all of our struggles are really the same and rooted in kind of like the same power structures. Um, did you guys get some eyes on that? I watched it also this week um, because it is ultimate feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how they make the town so drab the, <laughs> the way that they film it when they hard cut to the, to like, Shan and her husband like walking around. I was like, oh God, this Welsh town. It's all creams and grays. But as you said, every performance is incredible. Imelda Staunton is like, mm. <laughs> she's so good. And also Bill Nye is like, he has a little, he is a, sitting on a secret and <laughs> they are. <laughs> it's just like, um, it is the ultimate feel good movie. I've never seen anything like it. At the very end, when the, all the all the miners show up, spoiler alert, to <laughs> to walk with them in the pride parade, and there's like hundreds of them. That's so cute. Yeah, I think Bill Nighy has like two celebrated modes. One's like the love actually mode, and then the other is kind of encapsulated in living that most recent movie, where he's like, "I'm actually just a very reserved businessman. <laughs> I, I I can't speak too loudly." <laughs> Yeah, and this is a little bit more of the latter one, you know, with some some poetry thrown in there a little bit. But yeah, like yeah, it's and I love it. It's it's really aiming for and like designed to be a feel good movie that like wants to pick you up at every moment, and it's always kind of twisting to find positives in a lot of spaces. Like it doesn't kind of completely ignore some of the negatives. Like there are some persistent homophobes who aren't going to change their mind over the course of the whole film. And okay, that actress, who is she? She's, <laughs> she's, she's a tough nut, that one. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the film also acknowledges that this is taking place at the same time as, uh, like, AIDS gaining kind of prominence in England, um, which is especially important since that impacts several of the real world lives of the, the people in the story um, impacts is probably like the, the most diminishing way you could say that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, like in, in a lot of other ways, it's really trying to say like, if we all come together, so how much happier can we be? If, you know, wonderful Dominic West can teach these pent up, straight lads how to dance you know they're gonna get to snogging uh and i, oh, I, yeah, I think i used so... all the right lingo there so you did you did boot boot lift you did it all. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah he is so good in particular also all the performances damn i had something else to say about this i forget uh you know what sorry i think i'm 
it might be a bit of a downer, but it is. Oh. It is about how AIDS pops its little head in because the main character actually, like in the end things, they're like, oh, the main character passes. But he actually passes like before that they did that big iconic everyone comes to the pride so that would not work cinematically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and his character as it is in the film is a bit of a tough thing to portray narratively or at least to give him such a central role because as they play it out dramatically, his issue is he gives too much of himself to activism and, uh, you know, it's only later in the film that he discovers that he should spend, give more attention to his trusty friend. And of all the stories in the movie that felt a little thin to me mm-hmm. and he yeah. just didn't hold the screen quite as much as pretty much anyone else. Like even like George McKay, who I sometimes really don't like in movies. <laughs> sometimes I react poorly to George McKay in this movie. I I'm, I'm interested in what he's doing. And then obviously Andrew Scott, uh, you know, everyone else. They're just lovely. Mm-hmm. Hot praise. Okay, well, we'll be right back talking labor on film in a minute after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. And we're back on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We'll be back talking labor on film in a, uh, after we play a little game, lovingly called The Game. It's game time, homies. Whoa! Did not think you were going to say homies. I know. I should have said comrades. (laughs) I don't know where homies came from, honestly. (laughs) It's game time, comrades. Wee! Solidarity. It's such a, it's just such a bop. Such a tune. Oh, a bop. Um, Also, Bread and Roses. That moment in Pride when they all sing Bread and Roses really gets me as well. Anyway, I mean, when the lone girly starts in the starts. Yeah, that I think is so funny, because if it happened in real life, people would be so weirded out. <laughs> they would. They would you know, like when you're in a in a, a crowded space and then one lone voice starts to sweetly sing a song and then everyone joins in. But I feel like in real life, everyone would be like, I feel quite awkward. Or, <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> Does anyone know her? <laughs> Okay, sorry, sorry for that deviation. But for those who don't know, or if you're just tuning in, the game is where I spend all week looking for a title related to our topic that these two have not seen. I tell them the title, they tell me what they think it's about, I tell them what it's really about, and we all have, oh, such a laugh. Uh, Aren't you ready to play the game? We're ready. I can't speak. I'll speak only for myself. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm I'm ready too. I'm I'm willing. I've uh, submitted my vote as you know game ready. So let's do it. Okay, let's do it. This week's title is F I S T. Now you might think that spells fist, but there are periods yeah. in between each of the letters, and it's capitalized. Okay. Acronyms. So we can't pronounce oh. it as fist. Well, I don't think... think so, but it. Open to interpretation. Okay. 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 Do you think we're dealing with acronym? It seems that way, but I won't hedge you (laughs) in. It's this is your creativity at play, and I want to give you free. No, you're right. So, who? What do you guys think it's about? Well, knowing that there are periods between the letters, I do assume that it's some form of acronym. 
And since you said it a moment ago, I've been trying to figure out what that could possibly be. What I came up with, and kind of informs what I think the movie's probably about, is first I'll strike tomorrow. And it's just about how you put those things off mm. and you put those things off. First? <laughs> first things first? first? First, I'll strike tomorrow. I'll strike tomorrow. And it's about a union that really can't get its act together. It's kind of like that movie Three Lions with the bungling terrorists, but instead of <laughs> bungling terrorists, it's a bungling union uh, house that uh, really just can't get itself together to actually go on strike. Yeah, I mean, relatable, relatable kings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Sean? Um, okay, so yeah. Uh, also, I believe acronyms, uh, faculty in secretarial um treats <laughs> teams <laughs> um it's about a group of mild-mannered secretaries who are you know they they put up with a lot of crap at work mm-hmm. and then then one of them gets this wild idea but it just might work that what if we started a little union and they all are very nobody wants to rock the boat but then they put their little sensible heels on and they say we are going to strike. And they raise a real ruckus at the, the business that they work for, which I don't know what it is. But that's not my job. That's for us to look up on ChatGBT yeah. uh, when we write the script. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, unfortunately, uh, you're both wrong in all ways, shapes, and forms. Although, honestly, no. I think I would maybe rather watch both of your movies uh, than what it's really about. So F.I.S.T. is a 1978 American neo-noir crime drama directed by Mm. Norman Jewison and starring Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Stallone plays a Cleveland warehouse worker who becomes involved in the labor labor union leadership of the fictional Federation of Interstate Truckers, or FIST. (laughs) The film is loosely based on the (laughs) Teamsters Union and their former president, Jimmy Hoffa. Um, notoriously corrupt union boss Jimmy Hoffa. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The fact that it stars Sylvester Stallone and the poster is him holding a giant sledgehammer makes me think that fist, like it's intentional that it spells fist. I don't know if they say it as fist, but it feels thematically well, because interstate, appropriate. Like technically, Federation of Interstate Truckers would just be fit. Like I, <laughs> interstate, you know, we should. Yeah, be they that they up. like. Uh, have they, a, they wanted to squeeze that in. They have a hyphen. You know, if you, hyphenated if you have a good acronym, you, you cheat to get to it. You do whatever yeah. you have yeah. to, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Fist is better than fit. <laughs> <laughs> Norman Jewison and is And also, a, why isn't he holding up his fist up and not yeah. a sledgehammer? Yeah. No. You know, not uh, as yeah. advertised. Quibbles. But Norman Jewison is just an interesting director where he has a few canonical if not masterpieces, then really great movies in the heat of the night, Thomas Crown Affair, uh, Moonstruck, just movies everyone loves. And then there's a series of other films that just kind of seem to get lost to the sands of time. And it's really odd to me that there's a Norman Jewison, Sylvester Stallone movie that I don't think I've ever heard of before, but maybe that's just (laughs) my failing. Well, no, honestly, Jim, that makes me feel quite accomplished that I found one that that stumped you so and yeah yeah. i'm curious like i get the sense that it's kind of of middling quality 
Um, mm-hmm. Like it didn't do terrible box office wise. The budget was eight million, and the box office is twenty. Um, but yeah, the reviews are pretty, pretty middling. So yeah. curious, but probably not going on my watch list immediately. Mm. Oh, sly! Oh, sly! Yeah, sly. You know, <laughs> I'm curious about his take on Jimmy Hoffa, though. Uh, but thank you both for playing the game. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sonia. So welcome. Um, Sly like does have a secret tendency to rewrite his scripts, though. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Well, he, he likes to he likes to do some writing. Maybe and, the screenwriters don't want him to do it, but he does. <laughs> well, he wrote the script to Rocky and everything like that, and so he had he's had success doing it at some points, and he's always thought of himself as a writer in addition to being a director and an actor and everything like that you know whether those instincts are always correctly placed is is probably a different question uh, <laughs> as evidenced by a long run through like in the 90s in particular i would say yeah it probably could be its own show honestly um yeah. and just before we move on i did just want to quickly make a correction from the first half of the show that I did, in fact, mix up the ending of Norma Rae and Silkwood. So it's Silkwood where she's probably murdered by... Uh, right. Okay, player. okay. Still, well, that makes me so much more likely <laughs> to good. watch the I was, movie. I don't want Sally Field yeah. any harm to come to her. That's very important. Yeah, I was like, get a new shtick, uh, henchman. <laughs> yeah. Stop doing the same thing. <laughs> okay, let's get... Back into union labor films. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to talk about one that is from a familiar time period and place, which is called Billy Elliot. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, it also takes place in 1984 in uh, England coal mines. And um, it's, yeah, it's like the, the background is the strike of 1984. But the main storyline is obviously like a young Jamie Bell is the son of a widowed coal miner and his they're on strike. There's they're very grizzled and poor and masculinity is uh, is a huge as a major. And he he's trying to take boxing lessons. But then, oh, he peeks around the corner and sees people use people practicing badly. And he's like, you know what? I think I'd be a great ballet dancer. And so then a Julie Walters in a unitard teaches him how to dance. And it's it's like it's a such a great film. Yeah. Have you guys seen Billy Elliot? I've never seen Billy Elliot. Jimmy, it's, I'm surprised to hear that. It's a good This one you should one. get to. You know, I've seen other um, movies in the Jamie Bell oeuvre. I've seen the Fantastic Four where he's the thing, but I, I haven't seen Billy Elliot <laughs> yet, unfortunately. They're very similar. Yeah, yeah same vibe. Uh, <laughs> um, and Gary Lewis is the dad, and he plays the perfect mix of, like, very unemotional and kind of always angry and uh, just, like, seemingly unsupportive. But then uh, he sees Billy Elliot like dancing by himself in like an empty gymnasium or warehouse or wherever, wherever people do their, their unhinged dancing. And he is like, you know what? You love this so much. And I'm going to 
spend a lot of my time and few dollars to like help you like try to get there and it's so sweet and he and julie walters thinks that he can apply to go to the london ballet school and get a full ride and so then they basically try to make that happen a lot of shenanigans on along the way um and it's just the best and also it reminded me do you remember the um stephanie graham billy elliott boot camp <laughs> of yes. like the- <laughs> <laughs> I, that is like one of the like I haven't thought about this in a long time but it's one of the campiest things I can imagine and why wasn't that a reality show of when the Globe Theater was auditioning children to to be the Billy Elliot and all his understudies that's I just have a quibble with that I mean uh, I <laughs> we should have been employed we should have had cameras and will refrain from commenting on air <laughs> <laughs> to protect myself at this time <laughs> Can you list the top three contenders? No, No, I I wasn't in direct uh, interface with the 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 young stars. With the Billy Elliots? Yeah. Too bad. All right. Well, anyway, I guess that's all I have to say about Billy Elliot. It's charming. But just another, another moment of the coal miners having to go, go back down. Well, and I guess in a circumstance like that, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of Billy Elliot's father. Like not only is it a masculinity thing, but dance might seem frivolous at a time yeah. when you are fighting for your rights and for the ability to earn a living and, and support your family. And it might be I'm difficult like, to say that like an artistic pursuit is important at that time. Yeah. Um, not to be a real spoiler person, but Oh, at the very end, the dad and son and, like, teachers and friends all go to his, like, 10 years later to see him performing as, like, a 25-year-old, like, uh, and they're all in the audience, like, watching what they help support. And it is, mm-hmm. that is, that's the tearjerker, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just even that idea that, like, some kinds of labor are more valuable than others. Um, or more kind of like valid or are, are like, you know, meaningful work in this different way that others aren't. And I think, you know, when we look at like the writer strike, for example, it reminds us that, yes, even though that is a very different type of job than a minor, those are both working people and we are all in solidarity with each other. It's not about like white collar versus blue collar or even like the type of labor or material that's being produced. Um, yeah, it's it's we're all in the same struggle, you know. Um, and you might be interested in the music, the Billy Elliot, the musical. There is a song called "Merry Christmas, Maggie Thatcher," mm. and it's really funny. So I, hope I would it's invite rude. you to watch that. It's very <laughs> rude. You know, I hear what you're saying about pride. There, Sonia. I think my worldview probably lines up a little more with the hard nosed realism of Newsies. Where the only way you get saved is when you are the most notable and big-named newsie and the literal president comes and drives you away to a better place. Yeah, that's, that's how we succeed. Your only weapon is 10 years of jazz tap. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation reminds me, reminds me of that uh, Monty Python sketch. Um, where they kind of like flip the, the, this whole thing on its head and the 
um, son from London comes home to his like ostensibly working class <laughs> northern family. And then his father proceeds to berate him for the fact that he is a, I think he's a coal miner. And that that's mm-hmm. not like good, honest work. And his father is a playwright. And how that's like <laughs> the working man's true plight. Like they kind of just do this whole subversion of it. And it's, um, it's really good. It's, it's, that's, it really that's nails. Really funny. <laughs> it drives it home. And now let's um, sit all the present day Monty Python members down and get them to describe oh. what's good about that sketch. Yeah. And oh my God. What differing interpretations they come up with right now. I think, I think we still have Eric Idle to pin our hopes to. I don't no, think he's, he's, he's I think good, he's yeah. come out against the anti woke John Cleese <laughs> of it all, but oh God, you're right. It's so true. Um, and I just actually kind of realized that I have not seen the Christian Bale version mm. of Newsies, which is probably the OG one. But in fact, I am thinking of the um, filmed musical on Disney Plus starring Jeremy Jordan. So a very different, um, a, a different versions of Newsies. I think yeah. they have well, both because I started watching the Christian Bale one and then fell asleep. <laughs> sorry, Christian Bale. Sorry <laughs> Damn. Key Kenny Ortega track. Uh, you know, yeah. work. Oh. You know, if you want to keep up with Kenny Ortega and your High School Musicals and your episodes of you Gilmore can't Girls, keep up with him. Well, the that's man true is too, yeah. too hardworking. <laughs> but you also got Bill Pullman in that one, and you got some like really classic '90s kids actors. It's where if mm-hmm. you were watching kids movies at that time, it's like, oh, boom, boom, boom. I love them all. Yeah. They're all great. Yeah. So true. Yeah. What else um, did you watch this week, Jimmy? Oh, yeah, I was really excited to revisit a labor movie from the past few years that really caught with me and that I haven't seen since it came out, which is Steven Soderbergh's High Flying Bird, which was mm. Steven Soderbergh's first digital exclusive movie on Netflix. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a tremendous film. I love High Flying Bird. Uh, have either of you seen High Flying Bird before or are you aware no. of what it's about at all? No. 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 Awesome. That's great. So High Flying Bird is about the 2011 NBA strike. And already you're both very excited. You're both on the Sports. edge of your seats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but Andre Holland plays a sports agent who has the number one draft pick from the previous draft uh, as one of his clients. And that puts him in a weird position where he's not technically part of the union yet, but he is essentially engaged to become part of the union as soon as the lockout ends um, at that time. And through the course of the movie, Andre Holland's character takes it upon himself to say, not only am I going to end the lockout uh, in a very particular way, but I'm also going to kind of explore and for a a split second take control of the game of basketball because the movie kind of gets into how basketball and by extension any major sports uh, franchise or uh, system in North America or elsewhere is really there's a set of owners who are profiting off the talent and the labor and the effort of you know, in the case of the NBA, predominantly a lot of black men. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of MLB, you know, you got plenty of like Latinx players there who 
are kind of getting pushed through this system and are subject to the whims and the kind of machinations of a set of rich white guys. And the movie is 100% people talking in rooms. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you know, Andre okay. Holland goes to visit somebody. Andre Holland jumps on the phone with somebody. Uh, but it's this really rich exploration of these ideas. And the moment where Andre Holland comes on his solution and the way it plays out just shows the structure of the thing and kind of gives him this very fleeting victory outside of just the lockout ending and everyone getting to go back and play for evil owners again. The movie was written, it's one of two produced screenplays by the same writer as Moonlight, um, mm. Terrell Alvin McCraney. Um, and that might also be part of how Andre Holland got brought into it too. Um, and it's just, it's it's a really beautiful film. <laughs> and it's such an interesting thing, tying back to what we were talking about late, earlier, where it's not just a labor movie. It is a labor mm -hmm. movie in that they are people fighting for better conditions for themselves and for the people who come before them and everything like that. But it also intersects with how black people in America are treated and the most talented among them in these particular ways, how those talents are, are used and how they are appreciated and everything like that. It's so, so great. And it's an hour and a half and it's tight as a drum. And it's mm. also, um, I think, Love that. Steven Soderbergh's second movie that he shot on iPhone. He did that Channing Tatum, Rooney Mara movie first, but it's so kind of sprightly. Like he is just so nimble with it. He can do anything. He can put it anywhere. He can follow everywhere. Like the one thing about shooting on iPhone for him is that he is not afraid of those stark, bright, dark contrasts. And sometimes that's a little mm. overwhelming. But beyond that, it is just really invigorating and so lively. And it's really suited for the story where somebody is engaging in such a kind of active intellectual and kind of wheeling and dealing pursuit that is so thrilling. I am such a big fan of High Flying Bird. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I wasn't expecting you to fully just sell me on a basketball movie, but here we go. <laughs> like it's a basketball movie in that they're talking about basketball players and there's maybe a solid one minute of basketball action spread throughout the hour and a half. Perfect. Okay. But it is more talking about those, those dynamics, you know, and how people in that situation in particular can think about ways to break themselves out of that or what the next steps might be to kind of reclaim some of that power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that right. sounds really good. Yeah. And it, again, like it's also interesting coming from Soderbergh, who is a director who throughout his whole career has had an interesting relationship with studios and distribution where he kind of came across in that 90s indie boom. And then he came into the majors with like Aaron Brockovich, Ocean's Eleven, et cetera. And then with Logan Lucky, he really tried to push himself and do the distribution himself and kind of fell on his face. And now he's kind of deeply involved in, you know, streamers and trying to find a way to still make that a way to make cinema viable. And it's almost a parallel story to what's going on in the film in that 
he's dealing with this system where if he wants to tell the stories that he wants to tell and the way that he wants to tell them, there's only so many avenues because he's playing a game that's kind of placed on top of the game. Uh, and yeah, like, I think it's like a really fruitful movie for him in that way. Uh, but I'm also very glad, obviously, that he had a, a strong black script writer <laughs> to yeah. kind of put this in play and uh, and help him with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. So, Anna, do you have any, mo- any more things to talk about today? Yeah, um, there's another movie that I watched this week um, from 2018, directed by Andrew Bujalski, Bujalski, I'm assuming, um, called Support the Girl. Um, and oh. it's, a, it's a, yeah, and that is a double entendre title. Because I, it I was going to say it. About a bromaker uh, union, <laughs> almost not quite. It's about uh, the servers and the kind of main general manager at a basically Hooters style restaurant called Double Whammies. I'll just mm. let that sink in. <laughs> um, you know, real quick, like Hooters nailed it. Like Hooters yeah. says it all. You know, like maybe it's just because we've been living with Hooters all our lives, but it really feels like we that's don't the only name. Hooters. Yeah, like that's the only name that restaurant could have. You know, that it could be. Yeah, yeah. and so this um, isn't a union movie. It's not really about labor organizing, but it is about. Um, I think it's a really interesting depiction of. Uh, kind of issues of labor and working people's lives. And one woman's kind of efforts to really inject this, like, care and, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, just care and, like, almost a form of mutual aid to all of these girls, well, women, I should say women, working at this restaurant. Um, and Regina Hall plays the the main character, Lisa, the general manager, and she just delivers this absolutely dynamite performance, like, she kind of is this like always positive, cheerful figure who's just like whirling around this this mess of a sports bar trying to make her staff's lives better. And, you know, she's like lining up childcare for a staff member whose son is sick. And, you know, they're um she's kind of running this semi-legal uh car wash fundraiser. Um, to try and help cover legal fees for one of the staff members who hit her boy for her abusive boyfriend with her car. Um, but she just like she's constantly just running into all of the issues with this mismanaged, exploitative restaurant. Um, and there are all these moments where you kind of just see the mask for a minute. You see the strain on her and you know, how inadequate she is as one person to try and make things better um, for her girls. Um, yeah, it's it's full of really great performances. Um, Haley Lou Richardson, who was in the latest season of um, The White Lotus, White Lotus. as Portia, mm. uh, is really great. She plays Macy, this, like, extremely bubbly server. Um, the rapper Jungle... P word? Jungle, Jungle Pussy, <laughs> if you'll say. <laughs> um plays uh, danielle they're kind of her like her her second tier like lieutenants and they both deliver just great performances um and yeah it's like it, there's not a ton of plot like not a lot happens it's kind of just a day in the life at the restaurant as lisa tries to kind of like put out all of these fires 
But I think in that way, it becomes this like very grounded, weirdly, um, just look at, yeah, these different forms of exploitation that these women are facing and kind of the, yeah, just the plight of trying desperately to make a buck in a society where um, you're constantly being exploited for your labor. So that sounds depressing, but it's kind of a comedy, I guess. I don't know. It's really good. Well, having Haley Lou Richardson and like having Hall in that movie, they're so light and they're yeah. so deeply empathetic throughout that movie really helps lighten it up and, and keep it uh, lively, even as it's a movie that I think often acknowledges that the solutions to all their issues seem so remote and so outside of them. One of the things I remember really strongly about that movie beyond Hall being goaded, uh, being the best, is uh, <laughs> there's a scene where her character goes to an AV store and she goes into the a demo room and she basically has an out-of-body experience <laughs> while she is experiencing the av demo and it's almost like in that moment all of the solutions to her problem are unattainable and everything up any way outside of a double whammy life <laughs> is some fantasy that she she can't even imagine and I think that's part of the the power of the film. It's just recognizing that, you know, just to kind of keep things up at a certain point, you're, you, you know, you're you're plugging holes in a dam when you know mm-hmm. five more are popping up uh, at some times. Yeah. Double whammy life, baby. <laughs> well, with that, we, we gotta wrap this episode up. Thank yeah. you for com- joining me on this trip, you guys. We'd like to thank Saskatoon's The Garys for letting us use their song Manituna for our theme song. We'd like to thank everyone here at CJTR and all of you at home for letting us your ears. We are broadcast Wednesdays at 6, Fridays at 3, and are available as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Play, and everywhere else podcasts are played. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so give us a follow. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.